The Old Testament reading this morning is from Psalm 34 and may be found on page 497 and 498 of your pew Bible. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Look to him and be radiant, so your faces shall never be ashamed. This poor soul cried and was heard by the Lord and was saved from every trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his holy ones, for those who fear him have no want. The young lions suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Which of you desires life and covets many days to enjoy good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. And when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord rescues them from them all. He keeps all their bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil brings death to the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. The word of the Lord. Ninety-three women speak in the Bible, 49 of them are named, and the words that they speak, which are about estimated to be about 14,000, uh, represent about 1.1% of all the words in the Bible. So here in this passage that we're about to read in the fourth chapter of John, we have one of the longest segments of dialogue when a woman speaks, and she speaks at length. So uh, this is a lengthy section. I'm going to read verses 1 through 29 and then jump to 39 and read through 42. But I think it's important that we hear all of these words so we get the full context of the conversation that Jesus has with this Samaritan woman. So listen now for these words that God has for the church today. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized, 
He left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, 
For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are losing our listening. That is the way that Julian Treasure puts it as a man who has written a number of books on sound and oral communication, whose TED Talks have been viewed over 80 million times. And as we enter the second full week of Lent and your small groups dive into the second chapter of Neighborhood Church, you will find that Rob Mueller and Kren Van Totenhove agree that as a culture, we are losing both our desire and our ability to listen. It reminds me of a music appreciation course that I took when I was in college. Around the middle of the term, our professor offered us some extra credit if we would go down to Charlotte and hear the Charlotte Symphony perform. A friend of mine and I decided to take him up on the offer, so we got dressed up, relatively speaking, And we drove down to Ovens Auditorium in Charlotte, and we were able to get pretty good seats in the orchestra section that were right in the middle with a great view of the stage. And as the lights went down and the conductor picked up his baton, my friend reached into his blazer pocket and pulled out his Sony Walkman. Now, for you younger folks, a Sony Walkman was the iPod of the 1980s. It was a thing then. And as he put his uh, old yellow headphones on, he just looked at me and smiled and said, just in case. <laughs> and 10 minutes later, he was fast asleep. <laughs> now, I might be wrong, but I think our professor had been hoping for something else. I think he actually wanted us to hear the orchestra, but I think he also wanted us to listen, to listen to live music in its most pristine form. He wanted us to receive the music, to engage the music, to feel the music reverberate through the community, to let the music interact with us, if only for a few moments. As Julian Treasure explains, there are a number of reasons that we can say we are losing our listening. And one is that we can record things so easily now, both in audio formats and video formats. Once upon a time, we had to listen so we could remember important details that we might need later. Now we can just go hear something again if we need to. So just like we can't remember phone numbers anymore, right? Because our phone will remember for us. We are losing our ability to listen because it doesn't seem to be so urgent anymore. Another problem is that there's just so much noise now. Multiple screens, multiple speakers blare at us simultaneously. And we're so inundated with sound, it's like people feel like they have to shout to get any attention at all. And we can use headphones to drown out the noise, but all that does is just isolate us in our own little sound bubbles. They certainly don't help us hone our listening skills. Yet another problem today is impatience. We don't want oratory anymore, Treasure says. We want sound bites. And when impatience gets mixed with anger or mixed with fear, as it almost always seems to be these days. Then we listen even less. 
We close ourselves off to any message we might receive. And in those cases, what we're much more likely to get is what I'd call a drive-by shouting. When somebody rolls in, unloads their opinions on you, and then rolls out with no interest at all in dialogue or a healthy exchange of ideas. And sometimes they'll even tell you outright, now I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to have a conversation about this. And take my word for it, if someone says to you they don't want to talk to you about something, there's a 99% chance that whatever they mentioned is exactly what the two of you need to be talking about in those moments. When we admit that we are losing our listening, what we're saying is that we are losing meaning. We are losing relationships. We are losing understanding. Neighborhood Church quotes the famous saying of Paul Tillich, who once preached that the first duty of love is to listen. Julian Treasure clearly took that to heart when he decided to get married. When I married my wife, he said, I promised her that I would listen to her every day as if for the first time. Bless his heart. (laughs) You know that guy fails at least 20 times every day to do that. But the intention is spot on. The intent matters because it sets a tone for what is important in the marriage. And he knows, as we know, that to be committed to another person in love is to commit ourselves to listening to that person. To commit ourselves to being engaged enough, not just to hear what is said, but to internalize it and to understand it and to empathize with another person's experience that might not be exactly like our own. If we look at this morning's scripture through this lens, we see that this is a gift that Jesus and this unnamed Samaritan woman gave to each other and gave to each other graciously. Both of them listened. And that's actually saying something because their exchange could very easily have ended as a drive-by shouting. The whole thing started pretty abruptly, even rudely, if you think about it. Can you imagine if you walked up to a water fountain and someone you didn't know was standing there leaning against the wall and when you kind of stride up says, give me a drink. Get your own drink, stranger. Now that reaction would have been especially understandable because she knew Jesus was a Jew And she knew that he knew that she was not a Jew, that she was a Samaritan. It was her hometown, actually. Jews and Samaritans did not get along. They didn't get along culturally, religiously, ethnically. They did not mix. They did not socialize. They did not talk. Now, admittedly, it would have been a little dangerous for her to totally blow off or ignore Jesus. As a woman, she could probably get in some trouble for being overtly disrespectful to a man. But I think that just adds to the social distance that was separating them right at the outset. Here at the beginning of this conversation, we have to think this is probably not going anywhere. Because we know how hard it is today not only for us to speak, but certainly for us to listen 
across painful divides of politics and religion and race and culture, we are not having very many good conversations ourselves these days. So we probably don't have a very good feeling about how this particular conversation might play out. For some reason, though, she hangs in there. With courage, with boldness, she actually names the divide right at the beginning. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, why are you even talking to me, let alone asking me for help? But note that this is not a rebuff as much as it is a substantive question, an inquisitive response that was seeking an answer, seeking deeper understanding. All right, this may actually go somewhere. And Jesus does not miss the opening. His answer honors her courage. He essentially says, yes, I know we are different. But let's get past that for the moment. And let's talk about something better. If you had known who I am, you would have asked me to give you a drink. And I would have given it to you. And it would have been living water. Okay, the woman says to herself, are we still talking about this well? Does he just need my bucket? Or are we moving into deeper waters to some kind of meaning that is more metaphorical than literal? And I cannot help but notice that there is something special in this man and in his words. Something that makes me remember what we have in common like our shared lineage in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, she asked, the one who gave this well? Now, I have to think that Jesus might have smiled at this point, maybe just to himself. Things are getting interesting. Only he could have seen the potential for a substantive conversation with this unnamed woman, And he chooses now not to speak of what has been, but of what might be. Those who drink the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman is listening even more intently now. Jesus is leading her toward deeper spiritual meaning, and she is more than willing to not only listen, but to follow. Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty again. And as Jesus hears her plea, he's clearly listening to what she said, but also listening deeply to what she has not said listening for that deeper connection, what he hears her saying is that she is spiritually thirsty, that her life is running dry for some reason, that pain and regret have drained her spirit in ways that are too dangerous to speak aloud. And I have to think that Jesus thinks it's time to have the conversation that she doesn't want to have. It's time to talk about the thing that she doesn't want to talk about. Go call your husband, Jesus says, and come back with him. I have no husband, she replies. Again, undaunting courage, 
vulnerable honesty, incredible staying power. How many people who would, would have turned on their heels and walked off in a dusty huff at that point, but not her? Time to lay a big card on the table, Jesus thinks. I know you have no husband, for I know you have had five husbands. And I also know that the man that you are with now is not your husband. I have heard you. I have listened to you. I know you. And what you are saying is true. Clearly, her instincts had been right. This man is unique. This man is special. He knows things that he could not possibly know if he was not a man who is close to God. Sir, I see that you are a prophet, she says. And at this point, I think the woman seems to fall back. The things that separate Jews from Samaritans come tumbling back into her consciousness. He is a Jew. She is a Samaritan. They worship in different places, in different ways. They believe different things. Is it about this mountain or is it about Jerusalem? And again, Jesus listens, not just to what she is saying, but to the deeper feelings below her words. This and only this allows him to move them both back toward the hope that all people share and that they certainly shared. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. So note that Jesus never says it outright, but the woman listens and the woman hears. And what she hears is, could I be one of those true worshipers? Could I be one of those people that God is seeking? This man seems to be saying, hinting, hoping that I could walk with him, that the differences between us do not have to keep us apart. And all of a sudden, she starts speaking his language, a language that they both shared, claiming a hope that they both shared, claiming a hope that Jews and Samaritans held in common. I know that the Messiah is coming and that when he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Finally, after both had listened, after both had hung in there with one another, two people who were miles apart in the eyes of the world are speaking in terms of us, not them. And Jesus carries her on that final step down onto the bedrock of his witness. I am he, he says. The one you are speaking about, the Messiah, is the one who is speaking with you. They've come a long way from get me a drink. And the only way they made it from point A to point B was that they had listened to each other. Neither time did somebody just roll out. They held in there, they talked to one another honestly about the things that they needed, about their deepest desires. And when she went back to her people and told them what had happened, they listened too. They listened so much that in the end, they were able to say, we don't just believe because of what you said. We have heard from, for ourselves. We have heard for ourselves and we know. 
Barbara Brown Taylor in her book, An Altar in the World, describes some of the ways we can experience the presence of God every day in our lives, just in the world around us. And in one chapter, she remembers a time when she and her husband had gone for a walk at night around a mountain lake at a mountain conference center, and the moonlight guided them easily across the dam there. But when the the path turned and descended down into a dark tunnel of Carolina laurel, they had to pause. It was pitch black in there. You couldn't see a thing, but they kind of wanted to keep walking. So they decided that the two of them would go in there together and give it a shot. And once in there, they realized that they couldn't even see their feet, let alone the path ahead of them. But Taylor also quickly realized that even when her eyes failed her, her ears could still keep her on the path. When she drifted to one side or the other side, she could hear the sound of her breath change as it hit the leaves on the laurels. And the closer closer she got to the leaves on one side, the more that breath was muffled on that side and the more she knew that she had drifted. And a simple correction could move her back to the center and her ears would confirm that she had made it back to the center. And it was a blessing not that, came, that came not by sight, but by listening closely, intently, reverently to the world around her. We are losing our listening. And that is something that we cannot afford to do. If the church is to be what the church is ordained to be, if we seek to be salt to the world and a blessing to each other, if we want to show the world that there is a different way and a better way, then we have to start by listening. Truly, actively, deeply listening to God, listening to the whispers that can keep us on the right path, and certainly listening to each other beginning in the body of Christ, but not stopping there. Listening to voices that we would not normally listen to. May God give us the ears and also the courage and tenacity to make that be real. Amen and amen.